Well, I don't know how many of you um, last week, or remember from last week, but last week I preached out of Isaiah chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 32, and we talked about the idea of who you should vote for. And I, if you remember, I gave you three specific examples out of Scripture. One was the fool, one was the knave, and one was the, um, the noble person. Okay? Now, these, uh, th- this next part of Isaiah chapter 32 is what we're going to be looking at next. Now, you have all of the Scripture references that I'm going to be talking about today. They will also be... No, they won't. Craig, can you set that, please? Because it's somehow gotten off. Um, I'm not able to adjust. Um, I'm going to be going through my sermon. I may or may not be referencing these, because there's a lot. So just understand, for your future study in the next day or two, you can take these trip to references. That's why I gave them in writing to you, so that you can... Um, have them to go through, but they'll also be on the screen during my sermon, so you'll be able to at least keep track a little bit of where we're at. So, this is what we're doing this morning. We are looking at Isaiah chapter 32, verses 9 through 18. So if you want to turn there, or if you just want to listen, Isaiah 32, verses 9 to 18. This is the prophet Isaiah talking to the women of Jerusalem, the women who are the wives of the leaders, the ones who are wealthy, the ones who are well-off, the ones who are part of the elite of the community. And Isaiah's words to them, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says to them, you women who are so complacent, rise up and listen to me. You daughters who feel secure, hear what I have to say. In little more than a year, you who feel secure will tremble. The great harvest will fail, and the harvest of fruit will not come. Tremble, you complacent women. Shudder, you daughters who feel secure. Strip off your clothes and put sackcloth around your waists. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vines, and for the land of my people, a land overgrown with thorns and briars. Yes, mourn for all houses of merriment and for this city of revelry. The fortress will be abandoned. The citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. Justice will dwell in the desert, and righteousness live in the fertile field, and the fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and competence forever, and my people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest, through hail, excuse me, though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be, sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. And it starts out, this section of scripture from chapter uh, 32, verses 9 through 18, starts out with a challenge to the women saying, you people who are sitting there fat, dumb, and happy, thinking everything's great, 
You're going to find out in less than a year how great things are because everything is going to fall apart. Literally, the floor is going to come out from underneath you and your whole world is going to come crashing down. You're not going to have a grape harvest. You're not going to have a fruit harvest. All of the barley fields and all of the wheat, everything is going to be gone. Literally, what you've been living in in comfort for the last however long, within one year, is going to become desolate. And within one year, you're going to see wild animals roaming through your comfortable dwellings and digs. And he doesn't say it, but the reality is what he's calling them to is an understanding that they're going to be called away into this Babylonian exile. And it says, until the Spirit of God, verse 15, is poured out on us from on high, and then the blessings will begin pouring out again. So there's this statement from Isaiah saying, you're living in this life of comfort and ease, thinking everything's great, we're in the city of God, the land that God has provided us, and you don't understand. Because of the way you have been living, and because of the way your leadership has been going, my blessing is about to be removed. And until righteousness is back in the land, until people of the land are back in right relationship with me, specifically the leaders of your land, you're not going to have my blessing. There will come a time. But there's also going to be this time of desolation and desertion. And you need to get your act together, people. And you need to know. Now, as I was reading that, I was like, well, that's really nice words. Those are, they make me feel so good. Then the Lord pointed me to chapter 33. It's just on the next page, verse 22. For the Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us. So, that's the word that you have to live with this week. Desolation is coming in less than a year. Unless something changes and people go back to righteousness. And you need to recognize and acknowledge that God is the source, the, the lawgiver, the king, the judge. But there were some specific instructions given to these women by Isaiah. And he said to them, you need to go into mourning over this. And you need to literally strip yourselves of your finery and throw on sackcloth and beat your breast and throw dust in the air and tear your hair and mourn and wail and cry because of what's happening in your country, people. That's the word of Isaiah to the women who are the wives of the leaders of the nation. I don't like these words. I want God's blessing. And it says there will be blessing. But the reality is, it's only after there's a turning back to righteousness. And as I was focusing on this, I was like, God, I am so despairing. Honestly, I am. I am despondent almost. Because as I see things going on in my own world, I am just heart sick. I know I was going to download a video and show it to you this morning, and that's the reason I was concerned about the kids being in the sanctuary. But I couldn't, because it was so vile. And I, it just would have been totally inappropriate to show it in a worship service. But let me explain to you 
what it was and why it was so impactful on my spirit this week. I don't know how many of you pay any attention to what's going on in our world, but we have two people who have raised up to be the next president of the United States. And one of them has a star on the sidewalk in Hollywood. And in Hollywood, somebody literally took a pickaxe and dug up and damaged and defaced that star. And in that situation, there's literally criminal charges that are going to be coming against whoever did it. And they are doing the investigation because there's cameras everywhere. So they're going to find the person that did it. But this was a, a statement of, we can't stand this guy and we don't want him to be our president. Well, a homeless woman who is a supporter of this guy literally sat next to his star on the Hollywood Boulevard with signs yelling at the people. Now, she was homeless, and I don't know what her, her situation was. I don't know if she was in her right mind or not. I know that the sign that she was carrying had some vulgarity on it, but the reality was she was a supporter of this person, and she was letting people know, you're not going to do this again to my guy, and you're not going to touch his star again. And literally, people passing by began to harm her literally verbally assault her, began grabbing her things and shredding them. Now imagine if this is a homeless person, she probably has some mental challenges. She probably is a very weak human being. And literally, they were kicking her shopping cart and tearing up her things and calling her horrible, horrible names. And literally, this woman ended up on the sidewalk in the fetal position while people were still yelling epithets at her. A whole crowd just around her. And you know what's really sick? Somebody stood there and video recorded it. And then put it on the internet for all of us to see. And guess what? That video went viral. Do you know what that means? That means that millions upon millions of people went, Ooh, cool, I want to see this. That's voyeurism, people. That is you wanting to feed some sickness in you to watch this woman be harmed. Not one person came to her rescue. Finally, towards the end, when she's literally laying there probably two to three minutes in the fetal position, somebody finally comes up and says, do you need some water? Can I call you an ambulance? And then everyone else starts telling, she's just faking it. This is Hollywood at its best. And I was sick at my stomach. This is one example of what's going on in our world. Because two people are running for the presidency of the United States and we have a community of vile, disgusting people who are only concerned about themselves and not the Lord Jesus Christ and living for Him and the kingdom of God. Those of us who sat here this morning said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you truly meant that, what are you doing to bring it about? 
I, you don't have to tell me. But the reality is, folks, this isn't an isolated situation. This is literally countrywide, if not worldwide, where we have people living right, I mean, unrighteously, with lawlessness, with a, a, a sense of entitlement and selfishness beyond anything I have ever experienced in my time on this earth. It literally makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah. It literally makes me think of the Tower of Babel. It literally makes me think of this situation in Isaiah just before the Babylonian exile. Where everyone does whatever they want to do because life's good and as long as it doesn't affect my life, I'm good. And the warning from God is, you better get on your face before me and you better start doing something about this because there is horrors coming if you don't. So as people of God, what do you do? What is it that you're supposed to do? Well, the answer is right there. In Isaiah chapter 32, verses 9 through 18. You need to stop being complacent about the fact that it doesn't affect me. And you need to get on your face before God and plead with him for his mercy and his grace. You need to pray. But more than that, much more than that, this is a fasting situation. And I want to ask you guys, well, I, I, just, I, want to, I want to give you some information before I ask you anything. I want to give you information about what it means to fast. I, I will be honest, this is, this is, part of this is a sermon that I have preached in the years past about what fasting is. But there are people here who've never heard this. And I, I prayed about it and I feel like this is what God would have you hear. So this is the thing you need to understand. Why is it important for me to fast? Well, first of all, it's an expected discipline, both from the Old and the New Testament. Discipline is not a nice, well, yeah, you can do it if you want or not. It is expected of all Christians. Just like praying, just like reading the word, fasting is an expected discipline. It was practiced by Moses in Exodus 24 and Exodus 34. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus reminded his followers to fast. He said in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. Throughout scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Let me repeat that. Fasting refers to, in scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It stands in distinction from a hunger strike, the purposes of which to gain political or to attract attention for a good cause. It is also distinct from health dieting, which stresses abstinence from food for your physical well-being, but not for spiritual purposes. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. So it is important as a Christian that you don't fast for the wrong reason. Jesus criticized people in Matthew chapter 6 who fasted to show off their super religiosity before human beings. In the parable found in Luke chapter 18, Jesus condemned the Pharisee who stood there and talked about the, fa the practice of fasting twice a week because the Pharisee 
had become proud of his religious activity. And he even disdained sinners like this this tax collector who's standing there in that same parable. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 8. Talk about the wrong practices. And I encourage you, I don't have time this morning to read that. Go to Isaiah 58 and read that, if nothing else, this week. 58 verses 1 through 8. The right motive for fasting is what you need to be focusing on. Not the wrong motives. And the right motives are this. First of all, humbling yourself before God. Psalm 35 says, I put sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. Ezra chapter 8. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all of our possessions. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And fasting and prayer, according to Dr. Bill Bright from Campus Life, are the only disciplines that fulfill the requirements of Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Fasting and prayer are the only disciplines of the Christian life that will fulfill these requirements. If my people will humble themselves and pray, humble, fast, pray, seek his face, he will heal for, hear from heaven, he will heal the land. According to scripture, personal experience and observation, and this, again this is Dr. Bill Bright speaking, I am convinced that when God's people fast with proper biblical motive seeking, God's face, not his hand, and when they do so with a broken, repented, and contrite spirit, God will hear from heaven and will heal lives and churches and communities and nations and the world. And hear this one part that he said. Bill Bright, who practiced fasting most of his adult life, said, I am convinced that when God's people fast with a proper biblical motive, seeking God's face, not his hand. A proper motive for fasting is going to God and humbling yourself before God, not going to God so you can get something. How many of you fasted so you could get something? Me. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. There is biblical evidence for fasting for getting. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the motive should not be getting. The motive should be seeking God's face. Humbling yourself before him. There are different types of fasts. There is normal fasting, which is simply abstaining from food, whether it's solid or liquid, but not from water. Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter and then um, yeah, Luke chapter four talks about the forty-day fast that Jesus abstained from water and from food. That's a miraculous fast. There's a partial fast, which is sometimes known as the Daniel fast. If you look in Daniel chapter one or Daniel chapter ten, and that's abstaining from some foods but not all foods. There's what I use in my own personal life, what I call the Elijah fast, and that's out of 1 Kings chapter 17. And what that is, is Elijah was fed by the ravens, and Elijah was fed by the widow of Zarephath, but it was ultimately God who was providing those foods through the ravens, through the brook of Cherith, I mean, uh, 
the brook and through the, the widow at Zarephath. And so eating whatever God provides while you are fasting, for me, that was a good thing. Now, let me explain where that came from. There used to be a family that lived over on Bote. They were significantly uh, in great, great need of help. I mean, they had so many things wrong in their world. Some of you interacted with them while in the early years of my time here. In this one particular case, this man needed to go into the doctor's office three times a week for medical treatments, and I was his transportation in and out of town. And one day he said, can we go to the bakery restaurant? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I said, sure. Now, he didn't know it, but I was fasting at that point. You know, you're not supposed to tell people when you're fasting. You just fast and not let people know. So he says, can we go get a cup of coffee? Well, I can have a cup of coffee as long as it's decaf, because when you fast, you shouldn't drink caffeinated liquids. So we're sitting there in the restaurant, and, the, and he opens up the menu, and he wants to order more than just a cup of coffee. And he says, Pastor, order anything you want on the menu. It's my treat. Now what do I do, God? I'm fasting. Uh, thanks, no. I'll be fine with just water. And I saw this man's countenance fall. Because here, this was a very poor man who was living not even paycheck to paycheck. They were living every other paycheck to paycheck. It was that dire for them. And here he was willing to buy me anything on the menu to thank me for what I had been doing for him and his family. And I had the rudeness and audacity to look him in the eye and say, No thanks. I don't need your money. And it just crushed his spirit. And I was heartsick when I saw that. And I prayed about it afterwards. I was like, what, would I sh- what should I have done? God, I was trying to honor you. I was trying to do what was right. What, would I- what should I have done? And he- the Lord whispered to me, he said, whenever I provide food while you're fasting, feel free to eat it. Oh, okay. So the next time I was fasting, God, could you please have somebody offer me a cookie, please? I really want a cookie. <laughs> And I went over to Mary Hiller's house because she always offers me a cookie when I have coffee. She didn't that day. I was like, God! And the Lord was like, so you're fasting to get something? But the Elijah fast is what I practice. I'll be fasting, but if God brings food to me, I don't decline. I say thank you, and I restart my hunger pangs. But anyways... Um, There's also in the Bible, there's what's called an absolute fast, and that's a three-day duration of all abstinence from all food or water. That's found in Esther chapter 4, also in Acts chapter 9. And then there's a supernatural absolute fast, which you can find in Deuteronomy 9 and 1 Kings 19. And this is literally individuals who fasted from all food and water for more than three days. In some cases, it was upwards of 40 days, we're told. Um, Now, the doctors and biologists will tell you that after three days, you start dying if you don't have water. But God supernaturally provided for these people. I was listening to a video as late as this morning on fasting. It was a video by Dallas Willard. And he said, as I am going through ministry, he said, not my normal daily life, but as I'm going through ministry, if I find myself exhausted... I fast for a couple, three days. And the reason I do it is God supernaturally feeds me. I can't explain it, but I know it works. So if I'm involved with ministry, 
and I feel exhausted and weak, like I need to have something, I fast instead of eating. And God supernaturally energizes me. And he said, I'm not talking about I need to mow the lawn or I need to go do my regular job. But if I'm in ministry and I'm exhausted and I just can't go on, fasting gives me what I need. He said, it's a supernatural thing. I can't explain it, but it's real. I was like, wow, I've never heard that before. That was so cool. Now, what is the purpose of fasting? We've talked about the reasons for fasting. we talked about the types of fasting. What is the purpose of fasting? Well, there is a primary purpose. There's a secondary purpose. The primary purpose is fasting always, 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 always has to center on God. It has to be God-initiated and God-ordained. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God is going to talk to you and say, I want you to come, uh, come aside with me for a while, and I want you to abstain from food for a while for spiritual reasons. It's the Holy Spirit of God wooing you and drawing you into this. It's not simply going, Pastor said i got to fast, so I'm going to not have cookies this week. Okay? The other thing, the secondary purpose, is more than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. If you're taking notes, write that one down three times. More than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what's inside of us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things begin to surface. If you struggle with anger and you start fasting, oh, you're going to be angry most of the time you're fasting. Seriously, I've been there. What's inside comes out. There's a cleansing that's going on. I can't explain it, but again, this is all supernatural. This is what God does. He's bringing about righteousness. He's bringing about holiness. He's calling you to be an intercessor, maybe, in some cases. And the end result is, he needs to bring a clean, you need to bring a clean vessel before God, and so maybe there's stuff that you need to confess and repent of. And as you're fasting, you're going to be made aware of that by the Holy Spirit of God. Colossians chapter 1 says, food doesn't sustain us, God does. Because it says, in Christ, all things Hold together. So in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the Word of God. Feasting on the Word of God. So in other words, you could say, fasting is feasting. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said, it is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. John chapter 4, he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, well, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Powerful words. But how does this apply to me today, Pastor? I'll tell you. Our country is broken. I don't 
care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or Conservative or Progressive or a Liberal. It doesn't make any difference what your political flavor is. From the, the supernatural God perspective, our country is broken. We have fallen away from righteousness. We have fallen away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And quite often, some people even say the Our Father without ever thinking about what they're actually saying, and they really don't mean it. And so the bottom line is, something needs to be done. And as I said last week in my sermon, we as Christians here in the United States of America have a unique privilege because you are given an individual voice in choosing who the next leader of our country is. Now, of course, we know there's the Electoral College and blah, 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 blah. My vote doesn't count. Well, fooey on that. Your vote counts. Because how do you think the electoral votes get cast? It's from the number of votes cast for, and then the electors have to go and say, 60% of our electoral votes go to this one, and 40% go to this one. That's how it's supposed to work. So the general populace votes, and then they tabulate, and they figure out how many of the electoral votes go to this candidate, and how many of the electoral votes to go to that candidate. And then at the, old, at the end, they have to have so many electoral votes to be the President of the United States. So yes, your vote does matter. And the other thing is, I believe with all of my heart that God is in charge. I believe that. I believe that God ordains who the leaders of our country, of our countries are. However, there is something about God saying to us, get on your faces before me, humble yourself fast and pray so that I can heal your land. See, it's not just, I'm in charge, so whatever I say goes, so you don't have to be involved. Somehow, some way, God has said, in our relationship with Him, He expects and needs and wants and desires us to get on our face before Him and to pray. And fast. It's almost as if, it's almost as if our prayers release something. I can show you, I don't have time this morning, but I can show you in Daniel, where Daniel began praying for something, and a full three weeks went by before he ever got an answer, and he just continued to pray faithfully every single day, going to God, saying, God, I need this, we 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 need this. And when the answer finally came, what was it in the form of? The angel Gabriel, who stands at the right side of God's throne, was sent directly from God and said, I'm here with the answer. Unfortunately, I was sent the very first moment that you began praying, but there was demonic activity that was warring against me and keeping me from bringing you this answer. And literally God himself had to send the archangel Michael to take my place in the battle so that I could finally get through the battle lines and get down here with the answer for you. 21 days Daniel had to pray so that the answer could finally come because there was spiritual battles going on. He couldn't see them, but they were real. So I can't explain or give you a firm answer of why, but I can tell you, as a Christian, you are called to pray for your country. You are called to fast for your country, and especially at this time. 
have a horrible situation going on right now. And you need, as a Christian, you need to be on your face before God regularly. And so, I as your pastor, as the spiritual head of this house, am calling a fast. And from, from 7 o'clock until 8 o'clock in the evening, starting tomorrow night, through next, the following Tuesday, we will be in this sanctuary, whether it's me alone or whether it's all 20-something of us, on our faces before God for, 50, for 60 minutes, reading His Word, praying, and if you can, fasting. If you can't fast, then just come and pray with us. But I'm going to be fasting my evening meal every single day for the next eight days. It's nine days, actually. It's that important. We have a desperate need for the blessing of God on our country. We have a desperate need for God's hand to be involved in this process of choosing our next leader. But for some reason, God wants his people to be a part of that process. And the way you can do that is through prayer and fasting. And so I'm calling you fast. I have a video I want us to watch as we take our t- close our time together. And I want you to just use this as a time of meditation and prayer. This is a patriotic song, but it's also a song about pleading for the blessing of God.
I started this with a horrible mental image. A helpless woman, most likely mentally ill, with not a soul in the world to care for her, fending for her own safety on the streets of Hollywood who was surrounded by a demonic group of people. And I don't know if there were any Christians on that street that day, but if they were, they sure tucked their tails and ran. They did not confront the evil when they saw it. And I challenge you, do not tuck your tails and run. You have an opportunity this week to show what you're really made of. If you truly believe that prayer makes a difference, if you truly believe that God hears and answers our prayers, if you truly believe that that is our only hope, then show it by being here at 7 o'clock every night for the next week. And join me as we pray. Not for any particular party or, or candidate, but that we pray God's blessing on this nation. And that we can pray God would bring about righteousness back into our communities. We're the only ones who can do it. Christians are the only ones that God hears.